Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is abundance teacher and money coach, Jody Lynn Creighton. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And, and Jody Lynn, actually, as the intro was playing, and I, I remembered you know, what I recorded there about what you do and so forth, it occurs to me that actually becomes the basis for a good topic because it's the first of the year. By the way, Happy New Year. Happy New right? Year. And when you're a financial coach, both, well, you're, you're also a broker. So in, in both of those roles, you're working with clients to try to figure out what do they want to do for this coming year? What, what, what their goals are, you know, how you can help them accomplish their goals. That, that's a good topic for us because anybody who's starting the new year needs to take a look at what are their financial goals for the year. Yeah. Absolutely. It's top of mind, especially after Christmas. Yeah. You know? A lot of people start beating themselves up for, you know, I've spent way too much Mm. and it's easy to slide into scarcity. Yeah. 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 So when you get a client who complains about that, what do you say? Oh, well, (laughs) my brokerage business and my coaching business, very separate. Yeah, of course you have to. Yeah. Yeah. But in all cases, though, I'm wired towards the positive, the silver lining. Like it could always be worse and there's always another option. Like that's never, it's never the end. Even if it's the worst thing that you could ever imagine, there's always a way. Um, so when somebody is in that state of like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm beating myself up because I should be further along right now, or I'm not going to be able to achieve this is is reminding them of the possibilities that still exist because there's billions of them. Yeah. And and I'm particularly sensitive to that because that was me for many years. Mm -hmm. And, And because it was me for many years, it has taken me and it's continued to take me a long time to kind of unwind that. Yeah. Because once you've got that habit so deeply ingrained, because that's what that is. That's a habitual way of thinking, a habitual Absolutely. thought. Once you've got that sunk in there, that can take some doing to unwind that one. Yes. I can attest to that one. It's a toughie. Well, and with money, we wrap our identity in, in terms of like whether we're good um, or bad up after the Christmas holidays, have you been good? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like with Santa, you know, like Santa put you on the naughty list or the nice right. list. Like you end up putting yourself on the naughty list. Like, yeah. oh, I shouldn't have done that. And I should have done that. I shouldn't have done that. And I shouldn't have done that. And, and we, we tend to, you know, beat ourselves up, which, so it makes this habit that we have of thinking so emotional. Emotional. And not in a positive way. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's just it. It could be either way. You can think emotionally either way. You were describing a moment ago how you aim at the positives. So you're always looking for where where's the positive spin on it. But when you're in that other frame of mind in which I've been in, you're constantly looking for the negative spin. Yeah, and you don't even mean to. As bad as this is, this could always get worse. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. like what if this happens? And then all you know, Mm -hmm. your fears dump on you and you're like, oh, my gosh. My life is over and mm-hmm. you haven't even gotten out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's happened. <laughs> it's amazing what we could do before we get out of bed. Oh my yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know what? It reminds me of something we were talking about on my YouTube show. We had Jennifer Rooka on yeah. our YouTube show yesterday, which was amazing. But she was talking about in terms of yoga, you know, a lot of people will go into the yoga studio and they're just there to work out. Like they just want to work their body. They don't, they're not present in this moment. They're in next Tuesday, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing their taxes with their accountant or, or whatever it may be. They're so focused on, you know, having that argument down the street that, that comes up next or whatever that they're outside of their body. And we do this all the time, especially mm-hmm. with, with money where we're so afraid of all of these things happening and then we're so disconnected from how that's playing out in our body and then the fight or flight response that's occurring because of it. And, and I was thinking about that particular process you were just describing today, earlier today, and realizing that while we have often said this on, on the show, 99.9% of the things that we fear don't come true. The ironic part is if you fear them often enough, they do come true. Yeah. <laughs> you make them come true. <laughs> 
Yes. And, and it's so innocent. Yeah. You know, you're not trying to, but you can't get off the point that you're seeing. It's, you're so blinded or you have these blinders on like the horses when they're racing, right? All that you can see is what you can see. So if somebody is stuck in that position right now, like I spent too much money over Christmas, I have too much debt, I'm never going to get out of it. And it's just, they're just spiraling. Yeah. What I would do is if you can't get yourself out of that, grab a friend. Hmm friend, get some space, like grab your best friend, somebody who's going to be kind to you and maybe give them the, you know, the, the notice that you need some love and you need support and positivity and you need to see another possibility. Because the thing is that when we're stuck in that zone, all we can see is what's in front of us. So it's like we've closed the doors to all other possibilities that exist. But if you sat down with a friend and you said, you know, this is happening and I did this and and I did this and I'm afraid of 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 this. This is the only way my whole life is going to be over and then I'm going to die. Your friend can take that deep breath with you and say, well... This hasn't happened yet. And maybe this could happen and maybe this could happen. And you know, that's something that we do in, in my more class as a group. The last, uh, the last phase of more is, um, is abundance on autopilot. And, and it's where I teach you as the student how to get into that possibility mindset because it really is a muscle. If you were to write down, you know, I want an extra thousand dollars this month or 5,000 times, that doesn't matter the number. If you were to put that on a piece of paper and draw out the possibilities, like a spider web chart, I call it a possibilities chart. Um, but if you were to draw out ways that that could come to you, when you start this process, when your muscle of possibility is weak, you can come up with like five. Wow. And you need to strengthen that muscle because what you're doing is you're creating space in your perception to see an op- another opportunity. It, that opportunity exists. It's there, but you are blinded to it because you're only seeing the perception that you have currently what's in front of you. And, and that's all you really have to do in order to start opening up the possibilities? Seriously? Yeah, absolutely. And then once you get excited about it, you can start to see a different perception of your situation. Okay, yes, all of those fears that I have, that is one possibility. That is one route that could occur, right? But just like driving to a new location, there's, you know, 10, 20, 100 different ways that you could map out to get to a different destination, if you will. So that's encouraging. Yeah, Absolutely. So you're just creating that space in your brain that that's not the only thing that's possible. That's one thing, but Hey brain, pay attention. There's a thousand (laughs) other or a billion other things that could happen here Mm. that you can start to ease off of that fear thinking of the worst case scenario and go into, okay, maybe this could happen and that's slightly better. (laughs) And then this could happen. Mm. Oh, that's even better and even better and even better. And as you open up to those possibilities, your brain gets used to possibility thinking. It's that muscle. So instead of you automatically going to this place of there's no hope, there's a little bit of hope. And then over time, you're not really going towards that place anymore. You're kind of shutting that negative side of like, oh, my life is over off and turning on all the possibilities. Yeah, that's what Dan McGenna calls the micro shifting phenomenon. Don't don't aim for huge steps, aim for little tiny baby steps. Yeah, because a lot of people can't go there. They can't see, you know, oh, well, I'm in debt today. And, you know, I'm going to have to go through bankruptcy or whatever it is. Let's say that's the worst case scenario versus, you know, I have a hundred thousand dollars saved up and I have a paid off home. That's unfathomable to most people where they sit right now. So I like that the way that he describes that, that micro possibility. Micro shift. Yeah. Yeah. Micro shift. Little little tiny shifts, little tiny steps. I like that one a lot too. I'm also thinking about some of my own, um, aha moments going through my journey mm-hmm. and i know that for me one of the big aha moments was when i actively took the time to just kind of sit down because you know, i keep fairly meticulous records most people don't you know, yep. but you know I, I have like quicken and i i enter stuff in my quicken 
It's the same. I don't even have the up-to-date app. I have the app that I bought 20 years ago and it works just fine. <laughs> so I just go with that. But I, I'm constantly updating. I may put everything in there. I, everything I spend money on, I, I keep track of it. It's all in categories and so forth. And most of the time, you know, there's a part of me that says, why are you doing this? This is so time consuming. But every once in a while, it becomes handy. Like in this case, when I wanted to find out, um, like I, I think I told you the story. Uh, we were very deep in debt because of what had happened to us from the financial crisis and over the next four years. And then we moved back to Connecticut. And from that point on, it was about paying down debt before we could get into the plus column. Yeah. Which we finally ended up doing. But when, when we paid it, when we finally paid it off, we paid it off in the middle of the pandemic and we didn't have a lot. The income was actually low that year. And I was thinking to myself, how did we do that? So I wanted to go back through the records to figure it out. Because it didn't, I mean, no, I knew where a large part of it came from a legacy from my mom. So that made sense. But there was another 50% or so that I could account for maybe 30, but the other 20 I couldn't account for. I actually think it was about 25% I couldn't account for. So where did that money come from? And, And so I'm going through my records and I'm checking, you know, spending patterns and so forth. And I'm looking for, you know, where the income came in and nothing jumped out at me. Mm -hmm. Everything just seemed normal until finally I had an aha moment. And the aha moment was, oh, we're in a pandemic. We're in lockdown. We can't spend all that excess money. (laughs) We have to stay home. And that's when it really came home, just how much opportunity there is to shift the budget based on spending that comes about largely because we're trying to fill a gap because we're feeling lousy. Yeah. That's really where most of it comes from, you know, Mm -hmm. Spend a little bit here, buy this, buy an ice cream there, do this, that, buy all that stuff to feel better in the moment, just to mm-hmm. find a way to, because you're feeling so miserable in that, in, in that particular period of time. And, and when I realized that, I said, wow, we really spend a lot of money on that. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of money, Star, a, a startling amount of money, mm-hmm. shocking amount of money. And it took the pandemic to show it to me. <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> Better late than never. Right. (laughs) Right. Like, and you can look at that a couple of different ways. Like, sure, it would have been nicer to pay off your debt faster. Um, but if you would have, like, let's say that, that legacy or whatever came, you know, and that took care of the entire debt, you might not have learned what you just learned, that aha moment. Oh, yeah. you might not have been ready to see it in that moment, or, you know, you might not have had the capacity to change your life so much without that pandemic to, to assist you in doing it. It's not like you really had a choice. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It, it was just one of the many unintended positive consequences from the pandemic. Yeah. Which had these negative consequences going on, but they weren't all negative. They were talk about that perspective thing. There were also a bunch of positives that were coming out of it. And that was one of them. Yeah. And I, absolutely. I still marvel at that. Uh, but it's also something to remember. And I, I, I do try to remind myself of it. So for instance, um, lately I've been dealing with, um, the aftermath of Louise and me breaking up. And there's been a financial aspect to that as well. And, all kinds of fears associated with that. And so I kind of did not quite the same thing, but kind of the same thing to ask myself, okay, how am I really doing? I, I, I know there's not income coming in right now. Well, actually there is now, but at the time there was no income coming in. You know, what, what can I do about this? You know, it, how bad is this? All that kind of thing. And I went and did a similar kind of analysis, came up with very much the same kind of result as the previous time, and then looked at what it was that I was spending that was abnormal spending. And mm-hmm. some of it was necessary abnormal spending because when you split up a household, you know, you're splitting up the stuff. And, you know, so you, some of the stuff you're just going to need to replace because you, you can't both have the same thing. Right. Yeah. So you know, there's going to be some, some increased spending on that. So I, I, I took that into account, kind of factored that out. And I realized I was actually doing pretty well in really bad circumstances. I mean, it was much better than what my fears had led me to believe. And I think that's what I'm really trying to point out. And, and once I realized that, by the way, within about a week of doing that, that's when the income started to come in. <laughs> ah, you opened up space I did. for possibility to emerge. Imagine that. But yeah. I, I think that that's a really good point, Walt, because 
often we'll let our fears take us away on the absolute worst. And then we never challenge it Mm. and ask, you know, is that absolutely true? Is what, you know, my body is feeling, what my brain is going through, like running a mile a minute. Is that actually how I feel? Is that actually a, a good representation of what's happening or am I creating this alternate reality and, and, attracting more of that and exactly that to me in this now moment. And 99% of the time, it's not as bad as you think it is. Not only is it not as bad, but there's, there's something of value in it. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's value in, in any time we actually sit with ourselves and try and learn about why from a place of curiosity, like drop the judgment as hard as it is with money to do but drop the judgment and, you know, just look at it as if you're looking at somebody else's scenario and, and how to, to analyze it in a different way instead of the way that you've always looked at it. And ultimately, I think what we're really doing when we do that activity is simply raising vibration. Yeah. Because that's the secret, really. Yeah. Literally, that's the movie, The Secret. <laughs> that's what The Secret was all about. Raise your vibration and better things happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I you know, I always talk about the the milkshake theory. Like you, you can't ignore your feelings. Like when you do, it just gets all stuck. It's like you mm-hmm. trying to make a milkshake or, you know, a blended something or other that's got lots of good mm-hmm. stuff, but you never clean out the container. You got to mm-hmm. let that stuff go, which is scary for people because they don't want to feel it because they've already been feeling remnants of it or portions Mm -hmm. of it or pops of it, if you will, for a long time. And it feels like it will consume you if you allow yourself to actually look at it and feel it. But the opposite is actually true. When you do that, you look at it, you allow yourself to feel it and allow it to move through you. It's gone like that. It's funny because as you've been saying that, I'm thinking about the last quarter, the last three months um, yeah. since the breakup with, with Louise and all the ups and downs that I went through going through all of that. And in the process of going through all that, I found myself experiencing all the emotions at you know, various times. Yeah. Most of the time, because of work I'd previously done on myself and good friends like you and so forth, I was able to keep myself in a good space. But when you go through stuff like that, you're just going to have dips. It's just going to happen. And during those dips, I found a really fascinating thing happening. Something that I've probably done before, but never really been aware of it. And that is my way. I found a new way for myself to climb up. And it's kind of similar to the idea that Abraham Hicks teaches of climbing the emotional guidance scale. You're at uh, rage, you aim for anger. If you're angry, you aim for frustration. You you climb up incrementally. Kind of similar to that, but not quite. What would happen is the fear, I'd I'd notice that I was afraid of something happening, something playing out badly. I'd focus in kind of like you were saying, ask, is it really true? You know, kind of zero in on it. And as I zeroed in on it, I got pissed. (laughs) <laughs> I'm really pissed. And and uh, there were times where I'd be like shouting to the woodwork, you know, blah, 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 blah. You're like, what the heck? Why am I going up without you know, all that kind of stuff? And it felt better. And and as soon as it felt better, all of a sudden I kicked into a higher vibration. So it's kind of like the be pissed version of climbing the emotional guidance scale. Get pissed and then you'll feel better. <laughs> yeah. Punch pillow. Just- yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, for me, for me, it's it's yelling at the walls. I mean, I feel sorry for the walls. But yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of abuse. Stage and cleanse the place after you're done. You yeah, know, thank right. you for holding space for me. Appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think that's so important. We, we often bottle our stuff up. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that you found a, you know, a a, a way that works for you mm. to get that out. Yeah. I remember I was dating. I don't think I even found it. I think it just kind of emerged, to be honest. Yeah. It was like I was working for something. It just kind of like, it just came up. <laughs> it just came out. Yeah. I remember this is probably, I don't know, seven, eight, no, probably over 10 years ago, I think. It was a long time ago. And I was dating this guy. And I was 
super close to my brokerage promotion mm. and I was like just on the cusp and like my six figure ring, they give you a ring when you've crossed six figures. Uh. And I was like so close mm. and I, I was working so hard to get it. Like I was mm. trying to force it to happen. I wasn't right. really doing the law of attraction thing this <laughs> long time ago. Which we all have done. I, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's just how I operated. I was to a point where my assistant had to remind me to eat or else I would wow. forget. Like I was, I was that hardcore at that wow. point. Yeah. It wasn't good. Um, but I remember. And then I was just in this fragile, like emotional state because I was so frustrated. And there was like in this week where there's like this big blow up, um, there was somebody else that got promoted um, before me. And I was just like enraged, mm. um, not because she didn't deserve it, but because I was so jealous and I'd been working so hard. And and I really had this attachment to like, there's must be something wrong with me. And that's why. Yeah. I'm not getting it. Like I was using the tools that I had learned in personal development as beating sticks. You know, if it's meant to mm. be, it's up to me. So obviously I'm doing something wrong. So yeah. I need to fix myself. I'm broken. I'm, I'm whatever. So I was, I was very emotional and it was a very competitive environment. And I remember one of the guys walked up to me and he wasn't like really a part of our team. Like we had different nights that we did events on and stuff like that. And, and he didn't know what was going on. His office was just a couple doors down from mine. So he was walking past and he saw me. He's like, Hey, you get your promotion yet? And I was like, no, we're so close. He's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I was like, <sighs> he chuckled and he walked away. And I literally went to my car and I left and I was supposed to have a meeting with my senior broker. Oh, wow. <laughs> At that moment, I was supposed to have a meeting with him and I went into the car and I just started bawling. Oh. I just could not contain it anymore. And I texted him and I was like, it's a really bad time. I can't meet with you. And he's like, what? I just saw you. You were just at the office. And so the guy that I was dating at the time, I held everything here. I would mm. cry by myself, but I wouldn't cry in front of anybody. Mm. You know, if you saw me, I held it together all in here. I also thought vulnerability was stupid and that sure. nobody needed it, you know, whatever. I wouldn't let people get that close to me. Right. And I remember I was driving home and he said, you know, tell me what's going on. Like, you're just not yourself. And, you know, you seem really upset and I want to be there for you. And and at this point, I was full. Like, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. There was no room left. And and I said to him, okay, I will talk to you, but I don't want you to be positive. Like, Ooh. I just really need to get all of this up and out. And, like, once it starts, I will not be able to control myself. So, yeah, like, yeah. are you ready to see the worst of me. And he's like, absolutely. Like whatever you need. And I'm like, I need your promise that you're just going to let me vent. Like mm -hmm. you're just going to let me get it out. You're not going to try and interrupt me and make things better or whatever. Like I don't need somebody to be positive right now. I need to get all of this out. And if you want to be a sounding board, that would be super lovely. And he was like, absolutely. Of course. And then it came out. <laughs> all of it, all of it. I ranted for probably a good 20 minutes. It, it felt like an hour. I was just like, ah, and this and this and this and this and this. And it just kept spewing out of me. And I was like raising my voice and I wasn't mad at him. Obviously I was just so frustrated with this situation, <laughs> but this is what happened. He cut me off and I wasn't done. Oh dear. He cut me off and was like, Hey, but you got to remember that you're so Ugh. close. And he started to be positive And I, I, I lost my shit, Walt. Like I just lost it. I was like, that's not what I needed. I do not need to be reminded of what is positive in my life. I just need to get this out. And obviously I can't talk to you. And I like hung up on it. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you need to get that out. So, I mean, I remember going home that night and obviously I felt bad that I hung up on him and he tried to call me back, but I just didn't have the capacity to hold any more. And yeah. I didn't have the capacity to see a new perspective. I really just needed to get all of this out. Yeah. And that's something that I learned later on in life 
about being a woman is that we'll hold so much and then we'll get to a point where we're full. And if you try and operate when you're full, it doesn't go well. You need to get it out, whether it's, you know, this is why I think anyway, in my opinion, why women gossip and why women share everything is because we actually hold on to all of this stuff and fill the cup until it's boiling over and there's no more room for anything else. And we just need to get it up and out. So I love your I, I, idea. I have, a, I have a clue for you, by the way. Men do the yeah. same thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Great. I mean, we don't gossip necessarily. That's not our, our way of getting it out. Usually for, for many men, it's usually something athletic or something along that line. But yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're really good at, at just letting it just boil up right to the top. And then boom, it all spills out. Yeah. And it's not pretty. No, that day was not pretty for me. (laughs) But I really learned, I'm thankful for that moment because Mm. I asked for what I needed. I knew what I needed in that moment, um, which I can't say that I knew what I needed a lot at that time in my life. Like, obviously, my assistant was telling me you should eat. (laughs) So I wasn't taking very good care of myself, but I knew what I needed in that moment and I stood up for it. And as much as it was hurtful to him um, and, you know, hurtful to our relationship, we broke up, you know, somewhat after that. But mm. um, it, it was good for me to be able to ask for what I needed oh. and and to set up a boundary to say, no, 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 that's not I'm not in that space right now. I just I needed to be shitty for a moment. I wanted to be mad. I wanted to feel like poor me for a moment. And that's okay. I tell my clients this now, do you want to be mad about it? Because if you do, if you're stuck on, I want to be upset about it, or I want to be mad, or I want to be pissed off, or whatever the words are that you're using, it's going to be so much harder to shift. So give yourself the space to be mad about it. Yell at a wall, punch a pillow, you know? Unleash, <laughs> let it go. And then you'll find that, oh, okay. Now you'll come to a spot where you're just like, okay, I feel better. I can move on. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. By the way, that, um, what, what your, uh, ex-boyfriend didn't quite grasp is definitely one of the best things for men to grasp because there are just times when your partner just needs to get it out. And the yep. last thing that she needs in those situations is your input. Yeah. I don't care what the input is. It doesn't make any difference what the input is. Nope. We don't need a Mr. Fix-It in this moment. No. We just no. want somebody like to when, it, It's a great opportunity to practice listening silently, mm-hmm. which is a skill that many of us need to learn, by the way. <laughs> so that's why I mention it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, there's so much that we learn out of this stuff. There's no doubt about that. Um, mm-hmm. Something else was occurring to me, too. What was it? Well, kind of knocked it out of my head. It'll probably come back. Um, something to do with, what was it? Something about this listening process. And it's not there. That's all right. It'll come back. It'll come back. Switch, switch over to a, a different side of the topic. So, all right. Well, um so we've, we've decided that uh, we're frustrated with our financial goals for the year and we want to make a change. And we've we've come to terms with the idea that we need to release whatever angst or anger or whatever is built up in it. And we're willing to take a look and identify, you know, are our are, are, are fears true? Okay. Then what? What do we do next? Okay. I've done all that. Been there, done that. Got the T-shirt. You know, but what comes next? I've, my my problem is still facing me here. It hasn't gone away. I may feel a little different about it, but what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. That's when I would work on the possibilities. Like what else is possible? And a key to that is what do you want instead? Hmm. What do you want? And a lot of people will just say more money. Okay. Give me one second. <laughs> here you go. Here we go. <laughs> one penny. You- you said more. That's right. It is more. And I'm pretty sure it's, it's an American penny too. So here you go. So, so acceptable to most in the audience. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that's the thing. We say we want more, but we never quantify. This is Like true. how much more? And what, what for? And a lot of times the what for is connected to feeling better. Well, I'll just feel safer if I had a million dollars in my bank account. Well, 
There's a lot of stars. I will feel safer and I'll feel happier. Okay. There's a lot of people in the world who have a million dollars in their bank account and they do not feel at peace. They do not feel safe and they do not feel happy. So will you? That, that, that actually helped to bring out what that other thought was that I was trying to remember. Uh, because I, this has definitely been true for me. I'm sure it's true for other people. What you're describing as the need to feel safe, I would also alternatively describe as the need to somehow stop feeling like I don't deserve it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, disagrees entirely with what my, my conscious mind says. My conscious mind says, of course you deserve it. Yeah. And the rest of me says, uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's such a big societal mm. abundance block. It is. We'll call it that. Yeah. yeah. Because, and I would say, look at this too. This is an opportunity to look. You're already looking at your money. Like hopefully in that process, you pulled it all out. Like how much debt do you have? How many assets do you have? You know, like how much money do you have in your bank account? What did you spend over the last three months? I hope you looked at it all as scary as it is to look at. They're just numbers. Mm-hmm. They mean nothing about you. They were moments in time where you made a decision, whether that now looking at it was the right decision or wrong. There is no right or wrong. It's, I love how you put it, you know, do you want more of that or less of that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's all there is. You can take away the emotion from it. They're just numbers and you can make a different decision that can completely alter your life. Now, looking at, do I deserve it? Most people don't ask more questions about this. They just feel, I don't deserve it. And then they try and convince themselves that they do. I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. Do good things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do good for my clients. I deserve money. Can you hear like the hesitation in there? <laughs> and there's a reason why we do that, that, that self-justification approach. It's because a large chunk of why it is we feel like we don't deserve it is we compare ourselves to some ideal of other people. Yeah. And we don't match that ideal that uh, of, of other people. Now, the ideal, by the way, usually has very little to do with the actual person. Yeah. It, it, it's this ideal we've created about other people that we know about. And, well, they deserve what I don't deserve. They've actually, obviously, they have it. So clearly they deserved it and I didn't and you know, all, this, all this other kind yeah. of garbage. But it, it, it's an easy kind of garbage to fall into. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'd quantify it. What makes them deserve it? What makes mm. anyone deserve it? Mm. For that matter. Yeah, it's a great first question. Yeah. And a lot of people, this is also in my more course. <laughs> it is. Okay. Yes, it is. Because a lot of people struggle with this. This is a huge topic. But to give some pointers, when you start looking at that list, every single person that has done this exercise where you ask them that question of what makes someone deserve it? What makes them worthy of receiving? People put all sorts of things on there. They're a good speaker. Mm. They're kind. They're compassionate. Mm. They outwork everybody. Mm. They la la la. They'll come up with a whole list of things. And when you start looking at that list, you can begin evaluating it. Is that absolute? Okay. If Mm. kindness is on your list, they were super kind and giving. Okay. Is every millionaire in the entire world, kind and giving? <laughs> that's easy to answer. <laughs> nope. So, so that's not absolute that you must be kind and giving to deserve money. Mm. So you can cross that off the list. Mm. And when you start to do that with every single thing on your list, you know what you're left with? Not a whole lot. Exactly. <laughs> the list is kind of short. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like next to nothing. And then Mm. my favorite way to, to, to go into this or to talk about this is we think about deserving and, and more than terms of money, like deserving of the world. And that includes money. Mm. And a lot of people think, well, I have to have money to get all of those other things. So I must be deserving of money first. And then all of those other things, we wrap it all together. But when you look at a brand new child, Mm. brand new baby, regardless of whether you're related to this kid or not. Right. You wish for the world for them. Yeah. And if someone was to ask you, you know, is that kid worthy of everything life has to offer, money included? You would say yes. And they haven't done anything. 
Mm-hmm. They're not a good speaker. They didn't outwork you. <laughs> they don't even know how to talk. <laughs> True. It's their essence. It's that yeah. they made it here because it's, you know, one in a billion chance to actually be born of this earth on this plane to be here in this moment. There's a reason not one of us on this planet is, is absolutely identical, even identical Mm -hmm. twins. There's still nuances that are different about them. You are special. You are, you are you and so incredibly important. If there wasn't you, then all these other experiences that these other people are having, they wouldn't be the same without you. I, I um, have twin cousins, Peter and Paul, um, and I was I saw them this past summer at the birthday of their brother, who's also named Walt, by the way. Um, oh. And uh, I, I was chatting with Paul at one point, and I said, uh, I don't remember how it came up, but somehow the topic of identical twins came up, and I said, at what point do you think you and Peter stopped looking like each other? And he said, we never looked like each other. <laughs> and you're like, huh? <laughs> but I could see his perspective on that. Yeah. You know, from his point of view, they were entirely different human beings. And yeah. to this day, they're entirely different human beings. And by the way, now they don't look like identical twins at all. Yeah. They're, That's they're, crazy. Yeah. If you look carefully, you can see it, but yeah, they, they've grown into such very different people that mm-hmm. you, know, you, you have to look for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also on the topic of, addressing the fears by kind of listing them as you were doing that, it occurred to me that I had identified something else that I remember identifying this and not talking about it with anybody. I didn't even bring it onto the podcast because it just, it, it felt so vulnerable in a huge way to even mention it, but I recall it. And that was, I remember one time when I was kind of doing a similar process to what you were describing, just, you know, kind of zeroing in on fears and it was in regard to worthiness and, and, and that sort of thing. And I remember coming to an answer and the answer was, well, it, it, it's not a one particular thing that makes them more deserving. They just are. <laughs> they just are. And, and what that meant to me was, yeah, I know I can rationalize out of this, but that is such a familiar feeling. I know it must be true. Mm. I mean, think about that. Such a familiar feeling. I know it must be true. Hmm. Comfortable. <laughs> there is a comfort zone to it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Are all familiar feelings true? I would say no. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but ah. when I was in that mindset, I would have said that one was for sure. Mm-hmm. And it took quite a bit of giving attention to that, not trying to rationalize it, not trying to argue around it, not trying to pivot, just taking a look at that. It took quite a bit for me to finally get to the point where I'd say, yeah, but it's not serving me well. It's not really helping me. It's actually holding me back, you know, all those kinds of things. Do I really want to hang on to that? Is it really worth it? But it took quite a bit. I had to actually look at it. Yeah. I had to actually just stay with it, with that feeling of, well, it's, it's not one, any one particular thing. It, it's just true. <laughs> like, it, like the two year old complaining, it is because it is. <laughs> it is because it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, by the way, has become a saying throughout all society. So I guess maybe we're all two year olds, but. <laughs> Definitely. But, but seriously, I mean, that was, that was a thing that I was wrestling with. And it, it well, first of all, it felt very juvenile. Like, wow, I haven't grown past that. <laughs> you know, so, so there's a little judgment angle going on there. And then it also felt like, well, why is this so difficult to get around it? Yeah. And ultimately, I think what enabled me to get around it was just sitting with it for a bit. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like any other emotion it really is a negative emotion yeah it's like any other negative emotion you sit with it long enough and, and you just let it play itself out and it dissipates i think that's ultimately what happened with that one i just yeah. kind of sat with it and said you know i feel that I'm not going to judge it not going to try to change it not going to pivot it not going to do anything i'm just going to feel that 
I'm just going to stay there for, there, for, for a while with that. Yeah. And then it left. It, and it recurred. Yeah. It, it wasn't gone forever. It recurred. But each time that it recurred, it recurred less. Yeah. And I would be interested to see, you know, we started talking about this last week. I think it was, you know, that we do everything for a reason. Mm. And a lot of times when you eliminate all of those things that are on the list and you're sitting in that place of seeing that worthy isn't the thing keeping you from more money, your dream life, your dream husband, wife, whatever, like all of those things that you are in fact worthy. It, it is hard to accept because if you've spent your entire life believing that you're not and that somebody else has something that like some special quality that you can't even name, they just are <laughs> all of them mm-hmm. are just are more worthy than me. It's an uncomfortable feeling yeah. to, to sit there. And so I, I commend you for your bravery for sitting with that feeling of they just are for no explanation. Well, I, I thank you for that, but I have to honestly say there was no bravery involved. It was literally I'd run out of ideas. Yeah, <laughs> I had everything. Right. I tried everything else. Nothing else had worked, so I just kind of said, "Okay, we'll do this," because I don't know what else to do at this point. Yeah, but it's so brave. It's still brave <laughs> to sit with the things that scare the shit out of us, because there's also meanings behind that too. If mm. I am worthy, then I've just like been a total screw up my entire life. Yeah, sure, I can't that. use that as my excuse anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and even so, like even going further than that, okay, if I am worthy, what is that change? Like what is the expectation of me now? Like who who if I'm worthy then oh shit, who am I supposed to be and what have I have should have accomplished by now? Like it could open up a whole different can of worms because believing that everybody else is worthy and you are not might be your way of keeping yourself safe. If I'm not worthy, therefore I must be small. And here being small is safe. That word expectation that you just used leaped out at me. Yeah. Because it's a, in this case, it was a negative expectation. Yeah. And it shows just how easily we set up negative expectations as we do positive ones. Mm-hmm. We like to think of ourselves as positive expectation setters, or probably most of us do. At least those of us who are engaged in these kinds of conversations do. Absolutely. Right? So it's rather unnerving to discover that we also set negative expectations. Right? <laughs> and what am I supposed to do about that? Well, I'm trying to always set positive expectations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's such a... Our life is such a mind game Mm. and you're never done. It's always a journey. Like as we sit here, I'm not perfect um, with anything. I don't, Mm. I don't, I don't know if perfect actually exists. I don't don't think, I don't don't think anyone can actually actively accurately define it. No, no. And when I shifted my relationship to doing this kind of work and discovering myself, if you will, when I shifted that, that belief that I had that like, I, I thought at some point I'll be done and my life will be good and Mm. everything will be perfect and whatever. When I shifted that to, it's always a journey and the excitement, the juice of life is in learning about myself. Like Mm -hmm. we are the, eighth wonder of the world or seventh wonder of the world, whatever the next one is, right? (laughs) That is you. You are the greatest discovery that hasn't been discovered yet because you haven't discovered all that is you. And even me sitting in this seat, I've done a lot of discovery, but I still, there's still things to uncover about the way that I see the world. That is the work. That is the journey. That's where beauty in life is found, I believe. I agree. I definitely agree. And in fact, I would say, I would even go a step further and say that the journey of life is besides uh, identifying and learning and accepting all of that, it's also recognizing what we really are, who we really are. Um, A lot of this has to do with and is wrapped up in identity. And identity Mm -hmm. has been a huge issue among humans for generations and continues to be and probably will be for quite some time. but at the essence of identity, the way I understand it now, I now think of it in terms of of what, what we generically call source energy, that there's the entire universe is energetic, the entire universe is vibrational, and I'm part mm-hmm. of that vibration. And in that, um, 
it, when you when you think about it in that form, then that's how it's pretty easy to realize. Well, our, our physical lives may be limited, but our spiritual lives or our, our vibrational lives are endless; they go on forever and ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this is <laughs> to use uh, David Strickle's description: this is the equivalent of a weekend vacation this lifetime, <laughs> right? <laughs> in the context of all of eternity. <laughs> a weekend vacation, weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> we can Bernie's, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and, and, but the reason I, I like that as a way of thinking about it is it enables me to get myself to a space where I no longer am as concerned about, well, am I getting it right? Am I perfect? You know, well, you know, I, I have this fixation that I, I've had in the past and even sometimes in the present where I'm worried about, well, I, I, I'm just not as good as anybody else. You know, I, um, I'll never measure up. Why? Well, just because I just, cause I do, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. All of it starts to easily dissipate in the face of what I now understand to be how the universe is and how yeah. we all are and how vibration is. I, I now think of so much differently mm-hmm. because of that perspective. Mm-hmm. I think about I mean, one of my favorite things to, to do is to think about the vibrational nature of things that I normally don't think of as vibrational outer space being vibrational rocks being vibrational, yeah. you know, yeah. ice being vibrational <laughs> things that seem there's no way they could be vibrational. My, my, my sister gave me an interesting gift for Christmas. I don't know if you're aware of this book. It's called the secret life of plants, kind of like the secret life of bees, but this is plants. No. And I, I just started reading it. The, the introduction sucked, but the first chapter is amazing. <laughs> really, really good. It essentially documents how a guy, I can't remember what his name is, um, back in the 1950s, 1960s, he operated lie detectors for CIA and FBI and police and so forth. And on a whim, he attached a lie detector to a plant. <laughs> what? Cool. And he, he, he knew that um, he knew enough about plants and life in general to know that all life tends to react strongly to threats. And so even though it kind of made him a little bit queasy, he started finding ways to threaten the plant to see if he could get a reaction on the lie detector. And it turned <laughs> oh. out he could. What did he do? Oh, he, he would like threaten to eat it. You know, he, he would uh, tear a leaf off, you know, just, just traumatic <laughs> things to the plant and the plant would react to it. And, and what that whole chapter has turned into is a description of all the different experiments he started doing because it started growing and growing and growing and growing. And I don't mean just the plant. I mean, his, his body of knowledge kept growing, uh, about all the different ways that plants respond to their environment in ways that we don't really expect because we don't think of plants as being sentient. We don't think of them as being conscious, but. You know what? After reading this chapter, I'm more convinced than ever that they are conscious. They are sentient. They, I mean, you, you read this thing, you say, wow, this is really something. This is amazing. Yeah. He, for instance, here's an, an example. And he, this is something they have been able to replicate. Um, they would take two leaves from, I think they were playing with philodendra at that point. So they had two, two philodendra leaves. And they would put them side by side. And one they would focus all their attention on and the other one they would ignore. And they would just do this day after day. You know, not the whole day, but you know, each day yeah. they spend time focusing on the one leaf and giving love and, you know, sending, sending vibes to it and all that kind of thing. And I think it was within a week, the right hand leaf, which was, by the way, they were both detached from the plant. The plant, you know, is off. These are just detached leaves sitting on a table or something. The one that he gave all his attention to was green and lush and the other one was brown and crumbled up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I uh, I saw this TikTok. It, it reminds me of this conversation. I saw a TikTok yesterday and the the guy was talking about like frequencies that are that are used to manipulate us as human beings. But he was talking about um uh, like how, how easily it is to emit a frequency. And he literally took a, like a pencil with a, a eraser on it, like a number two pencil. And mm. he went like this on his hair. Mm. And then he went like this. 
out into the crowd. And like, he was like, all right, from road this to this, you're going to feel something. And they felt it. And he's yeah. like, all right, now we're going to up the hertz. <laughs> I was doing that. And like all of the people in the crowd were like going wild because they could feel it. Yeah. That energy frequency that was being emitted. Like it's, it's crazy. Mm, so some, some of the things this guy was doing, um, he was trying to validate whether or not it was electromagnetic right, magnetic signaling that was causing the plants to react. Or was it something kind of like what, you know, Eastern mystics would talk about, you know, something that goes beyond what we understand about how energy works. And I don't remember exactly how he created his first experiment, but he created a series of experiments, you know, just kind of testing that from a variety of different angles. And one of the things he found kind of by accident is that if he tended to a plant and gave it care and so forth, and then went away on a trip and experienced something and had somebody tracking what was happening with the plant, the plant would respond to what was happening to him 200 miles away on his trip. So if something bad happened, the plant would respond, oh, this is bad, it's going to kind of shrink in on itself. And if it was good, the plant would get more lush or you know something along that line. And it turns out that plants actually attach themselves to caregivers. <laughs> they actually become attached, like emotionally attached. What? <laughs> I mean, really wild. This is a fact. This is chapter one. I can't wait for the rest of the book. <laughs> I'm going to get this book, The Secret Life of Plants. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's so interesting. I started uh, in my journey of, uh, trying to like gardening. Um, trying to like gardening. I love that. Yeah. For somebody living on a farm too, that's even better. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just, I wasn't, I, I'm like more like a horse person. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Animals. I could, you know, I, I would love to have some horses one day, but we don't have any out here. And my husband's like the plant man, right? He grows mm -hmm. all the things and, and uh, I could see that he loved it so much and his dad loves it so much, but it yeah. always puzzled me. Like, I don't understand why you guys like gardening. Like, it's just, I hate weeding. Like, it's just, uh, somebody kill me now is, is really how I felt about it. Um, so last year, I can identify with that so much because I, I ran Louise's gardening business and I felt very much the same way. About yeah. It. I'm running yeah. business, but like, yeah, I you know, somebody else take care of the plants. I don't want to do that. Yeah. No, like I just, my husband takes care of all of our indoor plants because I forget to water them. To be really honest, I just, I just forget. Um, and he's just good at that and he likes doing it. So last year I made the decision that I was going to try to like, like I was trying, I was going to try and capture the magic that he had for mm. this work. Okay. I wanted to feel that. I didn't want to yeah. feel uh, about gardening. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to participate. I wanted to be outside more. I wanted to be with the plants. And, and so I would watch him and like how he reacted to certain things. And like, he was like, Oh, this is cool. And like, look at this. And I just started finding the beautiful things. And I found myself a lot last year as I was weeding, talking to all the plants, mm -hmm. like, it's okay, baby. I'm sorry. We're getting you better. <laughs> like, I love it. You know, whatever. And I'm, I'm, I, I think it made an impact, but my husband would just laugh at me when he like, cause he would obviously come up to the garden. I'd be weeding or something like that. And I'd be talking to my little babies. Like, it's okay, baby. We're just getting into the soil and whatever. And he's like, you're weird, but now I can get this book and I can tell him it, it helped. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In fact, it, it, what would be really interesting would be to do that and then track the plants that you work on compared to the other plants. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. See how or, you know, do they become healthier, lusher? Do they produce more? You know, right? Well, I, it's hard to say between season and season because I'm thinking of garlic. My job is the garlic um, plants. I have to weed all of them, mm -hmm. and the reason I hated it so much is because we had the first, not the first year, but two years ago, we had thirteen thousand. Like yeah. we had hundred foot rows mm. and thirteen rows of them. Like yeah. It was, insane and i started weeding late and it was super hot and i was mm. the only one doing it mm. so i felt overwhelmed and i hated it yeah. um
But it was interesting because I think about that garlic patch and a lot of them were really small and they had mold on them. And so we couldn't use a lot of them. We lost a lot of that crop. And, and then I think about this last year's season that we pulled up in August and then replanted and we had way less, we planted way less because I demanded it. <laughs> this is not my full-time job. I don't have time to weed 13,000 garlic. I can't do it. Um, so we put in, I think, 6,000. So much shorter rows, um, different area because we move the plot every single year because you don't want to grow garlic in the same place twice. Um, you want to give the soil a break. So we did that. And, and I started talking to them this year, but saying, Hey baby, (laughs) the weeds that we have out there, they curl around the garlic plant. So Mm. I have to like untie them. (laughs) process. Exactly. If you leave it too long, but all of them were big and healthy and we had more than we anticipated. So what you could do if you wanted to is you could, do the hay baby with like, you know, four fifths of it. And then one little section, give it just you know normal attention and see if it, if it is different, see if it does not as well. I'm totally going to do that. But then I feel bad. I want to give mom love. <laughs> I don't want to withhold my love from the garlic babies. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe only a few. <laughs> oh. Actually, that is very similar to what this guy who was doing this research back in the 50s and 60s was experiencing he, because he realized he needed to create a, a trauma in order to be able to, to detect a change in yep. the registration of, uh, on the lie detector. Uh, but every time he did, he felt miserable. <laughs> like he had cheated the, the plant in some way or, you know, yeah. he, he harmed it or whatever. And, and he actually began to realize, I, I remember this led to one particular study they were doing he realized that they needed to take out, if they could, the human element so they could test to find out whether or not random changes to a plant would actually produce a similar kind of result or was it actually truly, you know, the human interaction that was doing it, the you know, giving of attention and so forth. And I remember they came up with some sort of mechanized thing which had like a randomized program and, you know, all that kind of thing in order to... Um, uh, simulate the idea of, of a non-human directed, human focused attention giving machine. And I can't tell you what the result was because I don't think I finished that section of the chapter. I think that's where I'm up to right now, but you can kind of tell where it's going. Like, no, it doesn't do as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind yeah. of anticipating that's what the next few pages are going to say. Mm, I need this book. We are, um, we are going for at least the Canadian record, but the world record giant pumpkin in 2023. Oh, really? That is our intention. Oh, wow. So okay. How I big gotta, is that? Um, the, I think the biggest in the world is 2,900 and some pounds. 2,975, I think. How do you even weigh that? I mean, nobody can pick that up. <laughs> <laughs> the the new Canadian record holder, which who who just was crowned Canadian record holder this last year, um, he tried to pick his up. His was twenty five hundred, twenty five and change, I think. And he had a bobcat. And there's a picture on the internet if you go to like the International Growers Pumpkin Growers Association or whatever. It's it's on their website, but of his bobcat tipped. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> it was way too heavy. So they had to bring in a, like a big boy tractor to lift it up. And then they have pumpkin weigh-offs and they have this giant scale. Um, and then they put it on the scale. But um, that's our goal is to have the world record pumpkin this year. I mean, year. that's like trying to lift a mid-sized compact. I mean, it's, it's just, that's how big we're talking there. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> like it's it's so cool. And I, like looking inside of them, they're such cool plants. Like the cell wall, you wouldn't think, I didn't think anyway. It, it's like this thick. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy. And so our biggest pumpkin uh, last year was only like two, two fifty somewhere in there. Um, but so my husband thought it died. Like he, he literally planted the seed. He was taking care of it for a while. And then he was like, my pumpkin died and he was all oh. upset. Um, and then a month later I, he was like, come see the pumpkin. And I'm like, what? I thought it was dead. And he's like, no, it grew fruit. Wow. Uh, 
Yeah. So, and we like abandoned it, like he watered it still, but um, not as much as they like to get watered. So it'll be interesting with his new ideals of what he's going to do and then mm. bringing in maybe that, you know, that connection, maybe yeah. I'll go meditate with the pumpkin and just, I don't know, put my hands on it and love it up. Well, from what the, this guy was saying, you don't actually have to do anything special. Just give, just take care of it. Yeah. That's all that the, the plant needs in order to be able to differentiate. In fact, um, one of the experiments he did was he had a plant killer. <laughs> By a plant killer, they, they had a, a, a team that were testing. They, they were agreeing to do a test, and one of them had agreed to be the, the plant killer. So there were two identical plants, and the plant killer steals in in the middle of the night. Or I, It's not quite that dramatic, but, but he goes in by himself and murders a plant, just you know, kills it in front of the other plant. Oh. And then he leaves. Yeah. And then later on, uh, some after some period of time, they bring the whole team through one by a time, one person at a time, and they're measuring what's happening with the plant as each person passes. And each person passes, no reaction, no reaction, no reaction, till the killer arrived and off the scale reaction. No way. Yeah. <laughs> hey, maybe we they should add this to like detectives' work. Check the plants. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's and consider how many plants are on this planet, you, you, and crime would be done. <laughs> right, you couldn't get away with it. Yes. Their Christmas tree will tell on you. Of course, the <laughs> tricky part is you have to actually get them all committing their crimes against plants. So I'm not quite sure how you pull that part off. But yeah, yeah. but I wonder if, if uh, say, a caregiver. Now I'm going off the rails here, but like if somebody that was normally in that space with those plants was killed instead of a plant, I wonder if they would have reacted the same way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons I'm going to keep reading the book to find out, because I bet you that's the kind of question that they answer. So, yeah. Hmm. We're, we're getting to the unsolved mysteries here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't had a good book to read in a while, too, so this is nice. This feels good. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm ready for this one. Yeah, I'm going to definitely pick it up. Yeah, check it out. It's a good one. So, Well, thank you very much. This has been fun as usual. I'm yeah. sure we'll have a guest next week, but uh, it's always great when we get to just do a one-on-one tete-a-tete like this. Absolutely. Love having conversations with you, Walt. And Me too. thanks for everybody that was listening. Yeah. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>